This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Namai, Harimai, Kiora Tanakwe, Free FM 89.0 on a very windy Sunday afternoon. I better give you those weather warnings. There are strong winds warning. We're in orange. No, not the COVID one. The wind warnings are in orange. And they spread from. Where are we? We're in uh, Hamilton City. You've got strong winds warning that came into place at 11 o'clock this morning and will go till 2100 hours tonight. Those warnings are also in Manamana, Piako, Waikato and Waipa. So hello to friends and family, well friends in Cambridge at the moment and Tio Mutu. Take it easy and tune into Free FM 89.0. And if anybody is listening right now in old Wellington, of course ferries have been cancelled but there's another thing that we have to mention today because overnight the protesters outside Parliament have been getting a dose of Barry Manilow, the Macarena, Trevor Mallard, COVID-19 warnings, etc. So after a few doses of Copacabana, why don't they go home? Moving on to things more seriously, we've just had a history lesson from last week. I mentioned George VI's death, but it is February 13, 1692, 330 years ago today. The villains, William III, the Earl of Breadalbane and the Earl of Stair, two clans at war, the Campbells and the Macdonalds. Clan chief McIan in the lead-up went through the snow to sign up to clan loyalty to William III or William of Orange, only making a mistake and going to the wrong location. McGeehan did sign the pledge, but this was suppressed by the Earl of Stair. Brettlebane used £12,000 bribe, money that was not accounted for. Um, after days of um, Highland hospitality, the Campbells turned on their hosts. McGeehan and his wife, men, women and children, slaughtered, numbering around 38. Forty died in the snow as they tried to escape the carnage. Steer was removed from office um, at a time in Scottish history not easily forgotten, and the feud between the two clans does continue. And cold and cold 
the grave, O Donald. And cruel was the foe that raped Glencore and murdered the house of Macdonald. They came in the blizzard, we offered them heat, a roof over their heads, dry shoes for their feet. We wined them and dined them, they ate of our meat, and they slept in the house of Macdonald. They came in the night when our men this band of Argyles Whose snows thick and deep Like murdering foxes Among a helpless sheep They butchered the house of MacDonald Oh, cruel is the snow That sweeps Glencoe And covers the grave and cruel was the foe that raped Glencoe and murdered the house of MacDonald. Some died in their beds at the hands of the foe, some fled in the night and were lost in the snow. Some live to accuse him who struck the first blow. But gone was the house of MacDonald. Oh, cruel is the snow that sweeps Glencoe and covers the grave, O'Donnell. And cruel was the foe that raped Glencoe and murdered the house of MacDonald. of him. 89.0 Independent Community Media This is Cosmopolitan News and View Shortly to be joined by Mel Driscoll Glencoe, the late Kenneth McKellar Well everyone from Kid Rock to the edge of you 2 Have something of praise to singer-actor Willie Nelson Willie Nelson wrote Barbono of U2 Lives in a town called Luck He's never had any He never needed it among his compositions, Crazy, recorded by the late Patsy Cline. Collaborations with Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Steve Tyler, Julio Iglesias, Ray Charles, and the Highwaymen, Chris Christopherson included. In 1993, collaborated with Paul Simon and recorded a version of Graceland, the album Across the Borderline. From that album, here is Paul Simon's Graceland.
Delta was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War. I'm going to Graceland, Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to Graceland. Back to tell me she's gone As if I didn't know that As if I didn't know my own bed As if I never noticed The way she brushed her hair from her forehead And she said losing love Is like a window in your heart Everybody feels the wind blow I'm going to Graceland In Memphis, Tennessee I'm going to Graceland Cowboys and pilgrims with families And we are going to Graceland My traveling companions are ghosts and empty sockets Ghosts and empty Herself a human trampoline. Sometimes when I'm falling, flying, tumbling in turmoil, I say this is what she means. She means we're bouncing into Graceland. And I see losing love is like a window in your heart. Everybody sees your blown apart. Everybody
3FM 89.0, independent community media, and that is Graceland, that version, of course, by the great Willie Nelson. Paul Simon produced that particular track. It's eight minutes to one. Hopefully, we'll be speaking shortly to a lady whose origins are in the UK and a town city, Sheffield, where they may steal. From that particular town and city, here is the late Joe Cocker. Scanning through the bathroom window.
and Julio Iglesias going back to the 80s bit more Willie Nelson very very shortly right now we introduce a guest who's been with 3FM in the past Mel a guest who survived the journey we suspect because we couldn't get the communication with our others uh, who were on phone expecting a call uh, simply not reaching them the communication has failed I'd just better tell you again there are orange weather warnings wind warnings around the Waikato from here in Hamilton, Waikato District, Waipa. So if you're in Cambridge and Tiamutu and all over the place, the Waikato District, we are in orange wind warnings. Just take it easy out there. Good afternoon, Todd. Good afternoon. Dr. Todd Nakovich is one who has valued in the years that we have known you, Todd, the communication that Community Radio, proudly supported by New Zealand On Air, provides communities and your family have often engaged in broadcasting on this occasion it's on the eve of a new teaching round in an organization making its functions known in our community earth diverse Uh, the description of those two words already leads to other questions in our minds and i thought it might be helpful If we looked to what it's not about, it's not about individual freedoms. Um, It's not about limiting government reach to legislate. And it's not about what we can do with our own bodies. So what is it? This is off your website. Yep. 
And it's a very interesting website. There's so many different angles. Well, that um, little piece there is from our COVID policy, actually. Uh, not so much about our um, uh, the kind of work we do. Um, ba- basically, uh, I've been in, in the past under the guise of, guise of somebody who has um, worked in, in interfaith circles for many years. And for many years, I also taught up at the um, University of Waikato in the Religious Studies Department, teaching objectively about... Um, world religions and trying to expose mainstream New Zealanders to people of other faiths and other cultures, etc. Um, I've lived um, overseas uh, before coming to New Zealand in 1995. I, I spent much of my life living in South Asia. Um, that includes four or five years in India, four and a half years in Nepal, and two years in in Pakistan. But um, um, as you may know, the university recently um, has um, disestablished um, a number of uh, departments in the arts and the humanities over the last few years. And myself and many of um, my former colleagues were left uh, wondering what to do. So it hit upon me to use the skills of um, many of us uh, who were teaching up at university and in other places that have other similar kinds of interests to uh, create a new organization known as Earth Diverse. Um, and we started this, um, this nonprofit um, charitable organization back in 2019. We re- re- received charitable status in 2020, about the time that COVID hit. And just as COVID was hitting, um, we were already moving into Zoom classes or hybrid classes in a wide variety of subjects. So to get back to your initial question, we are about um, uh, promoting all forms of diversity through adults and community education. So we, we've, uh, we talk mostly about cultural diversity, um, language diversity, religious diversity, and environmental and biodiversity as well. And social cohesion. Yes, social cohesion is uh, one of our, our main interests, working on um, raising the level of um, mainstream society's awareness of other cultures, other peoples, other ethnicities, and other languages as well. This is one of our main purviews. We think that um, um, it's not so much um, migrants that need to adjust to Kiwi society. Uh, I have yet to meet a migrant who doesn't love watching cricket and going to see an All Blacks match. Um, really, in, in, in truth, it's um, us um, majority populations that need to upskill ourselves on other persons uh, or migrant uh, religions and cultures, etc., and even um, learn their languages. Uh, we have many um, uh, uh, spouses and partners um, that are Pakia of married migrants and their children um, who've never learned their partners or their parents' native tongues. A social cohesion policy could uh, go down well in Wellington at the moment. Yes, are you refer- if you're referring to the recent um, uh, protests, uh, certainly, uh, but this is not part of our purview. We're, we're not um, interested in the whole debate over the uh, vaccines. Uh, we're, we're actually open to both um, uh, vaxxed and unvaxxed persons. The, the, of course, fully vaxxed and boosted uh, students are welcome to come in, into yeah. our prem- premises and attend the classes in person. 
um, and we request that those that choose to remain unvaccinated access our courses just like anyone else who's outside of Hamilton mm. via Zoom. So yeah. we cater to people of yeah. all um, wishes when it comes to things or topics like vaccination. You do, you do talk of um, some of our immigrants liking the cricket and going to sports games, the rugby's, etc. Do they find in your conversations that New Zealanders, unlike the uptight Australians, New Zealanders are very free, the kind laid back, etc., etc.? Do they say that to you? Uh, absolutely. So migrants noticing about um, um, Kiwi culture is that we are very relaxed and and indeed are very um, open um, and understanding of other faiths by and large for the most part. But it's the small percentage um, of Kiwis that we'd also like to reach as well that mm -hmm. might not be um, amenable to uh, overseas persons coming in and into New Zealand and living. Uh, some years ago, uh, I remember the whole um, the taxi uh, cab rants of many uh, mainstream New Zealanders about um, uh, mouthing off to uh, immigrant taxi drivers in Invercargill and in <laughs> Wellington and Auckland. This was. Yeah. In in the in the press back in low around 2014 2015. I I I used to see that in Hamilton because I've seen some nights in Hamilton where inspectors come and uh, check all the taxis in town and I I've had to say some of those taxis are not very safe to get into. They they're just cars that have just I don't know where they bought them, but uh, some of these taxi drivers they were pinged. They were told to get off the road. Well, we, I would. Uh, target anybody who has an old car that doesn't um, um, uh, conform to uh, uh, standards. Um, it has nothing to do with uh, migration status or, or, or religion or culture or ethnicity. You offer over a hundred different courses, not all running at the same time, That's right. yep. naturally, yep. but such a range. And one of those who was associated in the first years of Earth Diversity uh, sadly returned to his homeland and has since passed on oh, yep. and not a, a man who was an age who could expect that uh, there are people who move through an organisation over years and it seems that there's an academic bent to this most of your lecturers are yes. people who have the advantage of a long history and not that as a subject, although it's one of them. In fact, on the question of the different topics of courses, it's significant that in this year, when the school curriculum requires of our secondary, tertiary educations, a look at Māori history in the context of Pākehā, um, that you should be offering a course which touches on this very yes. subject. Yep. Tell us about it. Well, well let's uh, start first with the broad questions you've just asked and then move into specific areas. Um, we, we offer courses in a wide variety of arts and humanities, which seem to be getting the short, short shrift at, uh, at university levels across the board, not just in New Zealand, but um, globally. This has been a, a main issue amongst academics is that um, social science and humanities courses are closing around, around the globe quickly as 
young students now move into more lucrative uh, areas like uh, law or psychiatry or um, um, marketing or mechanical engineering or any of the hard sciences because they're concerned about finding jobs. So Earth Diverse first arose in order to address the need of adult education that doesn't have a very high uh, tuition associated with it. And there are many adult and community learners who don't necessarily need a qualification or a degree, which allows us to um, uh, offer affordable and accessible courses to our average citizens. We've, we've since branched out into uh, um, arts and humanities courses, so we have an arts and, um, uh, and architecture um, uh, series, we have a history series, of course we have our language programs, we have our religious diversity programs, we have history programs, we also have, um, uh, we've just started a, a film series of world cinema, um, introducing uh, film goers and film lovers to other forms of cinema from around the world. We have a literature series. Last uh, last semester and ter last term in term four, we ran a course um, on Arabic literature and translation. So people who love to read global cinema were introduced to a wide variety um, of uh, um, exceptionally popular literature coming out of the Mideast and, and, and Saudi Arabia, Egypt, etc. Um, so all of these kinds of categories. Oh, and of course we have the uh, environment category as well. Um, we've been around for three years now and we're slowly growing the number of categories and courses within each. And we've started slowly uh, otherwise, we, we, we can't launch as a fully formed organization, especially when things like funding um, are involved. So we, we've started initially in 2019 with just a couple of courses in language and religious diversity. And of course, in the last two years, we've added so many new categories. And in the future, we'll be adding a new uh, a course on music that will largely uh, focus on ethnomusicology, teaching musical instruments or teaching musical theory in a wide variety of, of different subjects and topics. Now, returning to your question about Maori history, um, we, we started our history series uh, a year ago, and, um, and I've been working on putting together a series of seminars and lectures on, on Maori um, history. Um, um, uh, over the last year. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say that in the art uh, uh, category, we were offering our first um, Maori visual arts and design course uh, for mainstream populations. That's being offered by one of uh, the, our young students in what we refer to as our junior lecturer series. Um, so we have a number of young students who are both passionate and, and knowledgeable um, about topics, and they're usually in the range of 19 to 23 or 24, and it gives them the opportunity and experience to teach particular courses. Um, up, in terms of Maori history courses, of course, there's always questions of, uh, about the kopapa, who's, who's teaching the course, what iwi are they from, et cetera, et cetera. So um, while we have a, a few people that are already interested, it's really difficult to find one person to teach a course on an introduction to Maori history because that would raise all sorts of issues about whose history. So we're not ready to launch that course yet, but when we do get a, um, uh, a nice um, range 
of different people speaking on different topics that each are knowledgeable with. We'll, we'll have uh, already um, somebody that could be the glue that will bring it all together um, and be the, the main lecturer to introduce each week's uh, speaker. Todd, with, with Māori, of course, Tangata Whenua, they, there are points of views on both sides and the middle, etc., etc. How do How do you get through some that the mistruths and the truths and everything in the middle when it comes to Māori? Well, we don't think of things in terms of truths or mistruths. We think of things more in terms of uh, perception and, and perspective. Um, and anyone, anywhere, no matter race, creed, or, uh, uh, you know, ethnicity, etc., we all have biases. This is just who we are. What's your upbringing? What's your religion? Where did, what country are you from? Etc., etc. So I think as an academic, it's always important to state from the very outset that I have this particular background, yep. my iwi is this, etc., etc. And I think people that are interested in, and drawn towards the type of classes that we offer um, would appreciate knowing the background. So, for instance, if I get in the environment, I get a, a specialist who is teaching, who is an expert in, let's say, insects, I wouldn't necessarily want them to teach a high-level course on, um, on native forest species yep. uh, because their specialty is on insects. However, I would want a generalist to be the one to introduce a series yep. of topics. Mindful of these sensitivities, you were careful to introduce two languages at the same time, not one before the other, Hebrew and Arabic. Yes. Was that deliberate? Uh, well, um, we're basically opportunists when it comes to offering languages. Um, we, we are proactively engaged in, in finding language instructors in the languages which we don't currently teach. When it comes to language programs, we're very keen um, to offer uh, <coughs> uh, programs and courses that are difficult to access in New Zealand. There aren't many speakers. Um, so whenever somebody presents themselves and says, for instance, I teach Gujarati, right, <laughs> which is one of New Zealand's main spoken languages amongst uh, the Indian populations, um, I will say, well, let's, uh, let's get together and have a chat. We'll talk. We'll look at her qualifications, um, see what the experience is, and, um, and we'll decide that, you know, she could start, we could start offering a Gujar Gujarati program in, let's say, term three. Uh, right now, we're engaging with a number of uh, potential language teachers in everything um, from uh, Sanskrit to Latin to uh, uh, Te Reo Māori, trying to find uh, just the right people. And we tend to introduce new language programs in Terms 1 and Term 3 every year. So we can always build, bring, bring through a new cohort at the start of the year and in the middle of the year uh, because we don't have the interest yet to be offering introductory programs each and every term. Because you don't want to limit your students to those who are well-versed in academia, making it sound attractive, which there's no reason it shouldn't be. There's like one course that's advertised, or at least, shall I say, named as Hitchhiker's Guide to the History of the Land of the Long White Cloud. Aotearoa, New Zealand, and another, still sticking in the southern hemisphere of the world, the Incas, Spaniards and Dictators, 
uh, with an emphasis on Argentina. Well, at least in one course there is. Yeah. There's an example of a country. We, there's lots that we Pākehā don't know about Māori, and we'll never know because we don't have a waka. <laughs> we don't have the inherited genes that pr- provide the the personalities that are expressed in cultures. But here we have a nation that lies at similar latitudes as ours. It looks remote on a map, but taking it from the Mercatus <laughs> projection into a, a globe, it's not that far. It's not that far. Too yeah. far to swim, but <laughs> nevertheless, Argentina, Chile too, they share a similar part of the globe. Yet we could make enemies of a country in Argentina at one stage of its history and go to war. New Zealand helped by lending a frigate, I think. And we knew so little of those people. Is this designed as the way that people can be educated? We can learn so that when something such as war, terrifying though it is, at least we know something more than their sports successes. Well, our mission is not to educate people because if we said that, it would be like we control the education and and it would be very paternalistic. Um, Our idea is to provide a wide variety of interesting courses on a wide variety of subjects. We would never propose to say this is the history of Argentina, but we're happy to say this is one young person's view of what she in her uh, in in her experience is how to tell her friends and families and others who would deem to listen mm-hmm. um, what Argentina was all about. She was very positive about her experiences and her study of Spanish and and living in in Argentina and visiting Argentina. And likewise, with a, a another junior lecturer is doing a course in term two about a brief history of Vietnam. So we, uh, this gets back to the opportunistic nature of the kind of courses that we offer. If somebody approaches us, as we, we often get many, many such requests, I've had a great experience traveling here, there, and others, I'd be keen or I'm knowledgeable about a particular topic or language, I'd be very keen to offer a course. And we sit down with them, we talk with them, we, we go through the process of um, uh, interviewing, and um, looking at things like CVs and talking to others, and we say, okay, let's move ahead with this course as you've designed it. Um, for instance, I've had, um, uh, last year was contra- contacted by uh, a PhD in archaeology with a very uh, deep knowledge of, of the history, of ancient history of the Mideast, biblical history in particular. Um, and later this term, I think it spans the, the term between term two and three, um, he is teaching a course on the historical Jesus. So for those of us that are interested in learning what history and archaeology tell us about Jesus from a, uh, an objective point of view, so that maybe we can get a little um, better picture uh, about who was Jesus and what do we know from a scientific verifiable now, point now, of view. Now you've perked up my ears because I've had that discussion in the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. What color was Jesus? We see him as white, but he was he was a dark color. 
of a, of a Hebrew race. Well, this is uh, differently portrayed no matter where you go in the world. So, for instance, um, uh, many uh, I lived many years in, in India, and you know, as you know, South India, um, there's dark-skinned populations. Yes. Um, in South India, where Christianity is uh, very popular um, in, in, in the South, um, uh, Jesus is portrayed as being dark-skinned Indian. And I've seen pictures of the Last Supper um, and particular batiks and, and, and weavings with all dark people sitting around. So this yeah. is a, um, a, 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 a different view depending upon who is doing the viewing. Uh, and, of course, we see portraits of Jesus, white with a halo over his head, etc., etc., and you only have to look at some of the paintings at the um, in the Sistine Chapel too. They, they are white, uh, but a lot of those characters in, in in those paintings were of Jesus's dark skin. So, sure. Uh, well, being a, a a native person from the Mid East, I would say it's somewhere between, um, let's say the the um, the darker skinned uh, South Indians and the lighter skinned uh, Europeans and Central mm -hmm. Asians. So, yep. um, as humans move, we exchange genes and we end up with um, with different skin colors. The uh, color of one's skin should not be a factor um, in, in one's intelligence in any way, shape, or form. The hues of pigmentation really have no relevance that is rational. No, absolutely not. Um, uh, as uh, the human species evolves and as we travel the globe more and we fall in love with people from far-flung corners of the universe and, and, and the earth, we will eventually all be an olive-colored species. I'm, I'm talking many hundreds of years now into the future, but you know, hopefully when, when this begins to happen, um, uh, we'll be less concerned over the color of one's skin. As well, we, we might as well be. be prepared. Yeah. Exactly. We might as well be prepared, and that gets back to our mission. However, there are those who like the purity of race. It's a concept that when it gets in the hands of politics, it's dangerous. It's not the traditional difference of nationality, such as uh, in the case of the Falklands War, or should we say the Malvinas. There it was political issues, control of resources and so forth, and history. Those were the issues. But this is different. When we examine how people are descended from, some of us would suppose, a common origin, there are others who suggest that the reason that we have different races is because they were, so to speak, planted on earth at different times and periods in different nations. It's difficult to accommodate all shades of belief. Yeah. Let alone Absolutely. the different colour of people's yeah. skin. Yeah. You, you only have to look at America. All those slaves who came from Africa, they've spread their wings far and wide around the world. You, only, you look at England at the time and uh, the racism that happened when the immigrants came from the Caribbean. And we're a diverse world. We're, what's the world population at the moment? Something million or trillion? Or? Oh, we're, we're eight, eight, eight billion, give or take. Mm-hmm. And is there any course by chance among the 100 on offer over time that could imagine what are the issues in the current standoff in Wellington where it seems that the policies which are clashing of people's sense of freedom, their definition of liberty, as opposed 
to a society that hopefully is embracing them in in carrying through something that they see as positive. So we have po- positive people on both sides, but believing different things. Absolutely, we have nothing planned to address uh, per- particular um, political issues or issues that have been politicized. We do, however, have uh, a number of discussion groups. So, for instance, I'll talk about our Thursday night discussion group, which we've called the Big Questions, where we have a group of, uh, well, let's say last year we had some 20 to 25 people in our Thursday night Big Questions discussion. It's in our philosophy category, for lack of a better category. And we started off last year with tackling some of the big questions that we all have from a philosophical uh, point of view, like um, what is the nature of truth? Um, uh, Does God exist? Um, What is the importance of language in terms of communication? And we've often asked um, um, uh, lecturers um, and experts in their field to come in and present um, alternative views for about 10 or 15 minutes each. And then we open it up to the people in the class to discuss objectively and and, and, and um, um, with reverence to other people's points of view. And we've never had a, a discussion topic get out of hand. Um, but we're we're now um, since we've already tackled some of the big questions. One of the things we've realized is that none of these big issues have any one answer. And I think this is the main point of the course. Is, is, is talking about a topic, and every week it's a different topic, and we hear the ver- wide variety of opinions that everybody has to offer, and we all sit back and go, hmm, that's very fascinating, and we learn about something that we might not have known about before, and hopefully everybody goes away thinking, okay, perhaps I have a, a better understanding. This but, past Thursday's topic yep. was just on, uh, on music, for instance and getting a sense of how people use music. Do they play it? Do they listen to it? Do they well, find that, it that, suited? I'm, I'm, I'm on that. But you, you have to look at one guy down in Wellington. He's threatening to shoot uh, journalists, politicians along the way, and he, he's really rousing the crowd up down there. And, yeah, there's so much, so much misinformation down there. Would you like to have that guy at one of your lectures? Uh, well, as I said, we'd, we'd welcome all, all persons. I've, I've, um, uh, my, well, how to say this? Uh, I've been the target or, or my, one of my community groups has been the target of a, a couple of hate crimes in Hamilton yep. over the years. Yes. And in one instance, the perpetrator was, uh, was caught and arrested and we went through restorative yep. justice process. And I think um, those that were involved in the restorative justice process have found it quite yep. um, um, useful on, well, on both sides. That, that was the Jewish Memorial in um, Piranha Park. And correct. Mel and I covered that because yeah. I was in court yeah. when that man yeah. appeared with, before yep. the judge. Yep. So is he still in town or is he still I around? I can't comment on any of that. But no. how, how is the memorial today? It's fine? Nothing's, nothing else has happened since? Um, other than a lightning strike on the Holocaust Memorial Tree, which I'm pleased to, to <laughs> announce or, or mention that that it survived the lightning strike. 
<laughs> maybe maybe God was looking after you. <laughs> I'm not sure, but but I'm I'm really here to talk about um, Earth Earth Diverse and, yes. and the variety of of, of courses. Uh, yep. Um, I'm not that interested yeah. in really getting into political yep. discussions. I, I, I'm quite interested too. Doing all these Zoom calls. How mm. many scre- how many screens are you in front of? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, Bruce. Thank you. Um, well, over the last few days, uh, we, we've just moved into a new facility um, in, in, in the last uh, week. Um, and we've moved all our furniture and our office stuff. And um, uh, yesterday we had all the TVs hung in, in our classrooms. We now have five classrooms um, and a large lounge area that's also being used for larger classrooms and discussion groups. So how many TVs? We have now six large screen TVs <laughs> in each of the classes, which allow people uh, that are zooming in to see the presentations and also allow those in the room to see the Zoomer inners. Um, and sure, we all, uh, most of our staff is uh, communicating over Zoom and having uh, Zoom meetings. Um, this afternoon, I've got um, uh, two two meetings with prospective uh, uh, teachers and uh, yeah. for future terms. I think it's going to be become part of our lives because listening to Jim Mora on RNZ earlier today, he was doing a couple of interviews via via Zoom from all around the world. So may, maybe we will be sitting at home doing these interviews for radio. Well, I don't. I actually think that this is one of the silver linings of the whole uh, COVID pandemic, is that while while we were already working and and doing Zoom courses before anyone even heard the word COVID, let alone Omicron, uh, we were already moving into the sphere. But but the silver lining of COVID, if there could ever be one, would be the fact that um, uh, the majority of our population now is now familiar with what we refer to when we talk about distance learning and and so many more people now especially with omicron and the wave that is about to hit uh, aotearoa new zealand um, are moving to the zoom sphere so some of our classrooms are smaller and one of my tasks today is to finish um, scheduling each of the classes based on enrollment um, in particular rooms so it's uh, entirely possible that we will have a teacher in a room all by themselves with let's say eight or ten people zooming in and other teachers with two or three people in the classroom and another five or six zooming in and as COVID increases in Aotearoa New Zealand um, we expect to uh, um, be doing more live interactive Zoom classes and for teaching languages and, and, and other topics, this is just working spectacularly because uh, students are there on the screen, teacher can see them, they can raise their hand, they can interrupt just like uh, somebody in the classroom. So there really is no difference um, in a hybrid class and the technology is to a point now, and COVID has certainly helped this, um, where it actually is good and it actually works. Yep. And, and, and of course, you've got t- different time zones, so. Some of these people from overseas have got to get out of bed at a certain time <laughs> yes. and tune in. And then yes, uh, I've had a number of instances where we've rescheduled classes so that people have been keen to attend, can attend. So uh, one instance I'll give you right now is my Hindi 103 class. Um, um, it, it caters to people in New Zealand and there's a woman in the UK. And as you know, the time zones... Um, because where the antipodes are often don't work, but we were able to find a Friday night, 8 to 9.30 in the evening time slot <laughs> that coincides with a 7 a.m. 
wake up for our Hindi student in the, in the UK. She wakes up, has a cup of coffee, and sits down, and we have a great class. We laugh a lot, and um, we learn at the same time. This networking is what potentially will help humans not to be in strife, but to find common ground. Because there's not the proximity that there is when the trenches are over no man's land. It's dialogue. I wonder if it works in the case of Ukraine. Our guest is Todd Narkovich of Earth Diverse, Executive Officer you are. It's uh, a non-profit community education is- initiative. Sounds like a lot of work. Uh, yes, and we're growing growing quickly, um, moving into our, our new facilities to incorporate the growth. Uh, you mentioned 100 classes. Um, just to give you an idea of growth, last term, uh, well, we have uh, some hundred odd classes and we ro- rotate them while we constantly uh, introduce new courses. In term four last year, we had 24 classes. This term in term one, we're offering 47 different classes in this term alone. Does this indicate an abdication of responsibility for education on the part of the University of Waikato that those who have previously been running lectures? Not not at all. While I might have a lot to say to um, um, government about um, or even individual institutions about cutting um, humanities courses at the expense of science and some of the more money-making uh, courses. Um, that's not our intention at all. At all, our our intent is to um, bring information that is interesting to a wide variety of pop of people of all ages and backgrounds that can afford our our courses. Um, we're moving towards a model where we're seeking funding to provide. Um, uh, so as, that we can hire part-time a variety of lecturers with an expertise in any topic. And we, we're different from the adult and community education courses that often offer practical courses like um, uh, cooking courses and um, how to use Microsoft Excel, for instance, um, that are the, the realm of our typical adult and community education courses. So we're trying to offer things that are not normally taught here in Hamilton and are attracting people who actually love what we're doing. Uh, one course this, this term is on, uh, from a histo- historical point of view, is, is a class on um, banned literature um, that looks historically at the reasons why particular countries have banned everything from Huckleberry Finn um, to Salman Rushdie or, or uh, in other countries as well. So this is not just a Western-centric view of banned literature, um, but a global view that takes into account other uh, countries and the reasons why they might be banning particular li- literature. What, what's, what is the matter with Mark Twain? He, he came to New Zealand once. What's the problem with Mark Twain? Uh, some people object to him. There was uh, most recently in the United States, there was a controversy in the state of Tennessee. Um, and this book was, in my mind, the most recently banned book is just a, a comic book about, um, about uh, the Holocaust, World War II. Um, and I've had a copy of this book uh, for some 20 odd years and nobody's really ever heard of it. But since the, the Board of Education in a particular school district in Tennessee 
banned this book. The book, by the way, is called Mouse, M-A-U-S. Oh, yeah, I saw that news yep. item. Um, the, the, the ranking of Mouse as a seller on Amazon went from something like 6 million, and it's now in its top 10 books that's currently being sold on Amazon.com. How fickle it is, yeah. the way that focus shifts from one issue to another. And, and, and we're looking at the big picture. We just like to talk about the processes behind and the history and politics behind why government bans books. And I think if people understand the deeper issues, this is me as a person interested in big picture stuff. I think this is one way that we can reach populations that might not normally understand the depth that most uh, historical and political and geographic issues that ra arise today in media actually have really good reasons behind them for why these things happening understanding why they're happening from uh, the point of view of us sitting reading the newspaper is much more difficult to task and you you'd be interested in they think they know who betrayed Anne Frank and her family that's come out in the yes. last few weeks yes so and and another discussion we've been having with round the table around the coffee table is Adolf Hitler was Jewish You've probably heard those conspiracies. Uh, I'm not going to comment on, on that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, but uh, we've had those discussions. Hey, discussing things is good. It's, um... Absolutely, and that, that's the point. Um, but it's good discussing them with people who actually can help lead the decision and who are knowledgeable about, about these kinds of things. Is the gender of the people offering the education, whether you call them tutors, lecturers, is it relevant, irrelevant? just as their skin color might be? Uh, it depends on their level of qualification and the level of knowledge of, of the topic they wish to teach. So, for instance, if we want to um, uh, offer a course on Maori weaving, I would not look at who is offering the course. I would look at the qualifications that they have, as an example. One could end up with an apparent bias for one sex because it would be a reflection of that other criterion. Well, it depends again on, on the topic and who is most qualified to teach a particular course. Uh, I'll, I'll give you another example. Um, I'm a language teacher and I teach a language that is not my native tongue. I teach more than one language that's not my native tongue. Yet I often get asked, how could you teach Hindi? Why are you qualified to teach Urdu? The answer is, I've studied these and I probably am more familiar with the grammar and how to teach the grammar to non-native speakers than would a native speaker be. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm a better teacher. It means that I could probably teach and an approach grammar from a way that Westerners, for instance, would understand uh, as opposed to a native speaker. Uh, as another way of looking at this, I've never studied English before except in, in you know grade school. Um, and I would find if somebody asked me to teach English, whether here or overseas, I would say I'm not qualified. The fact that I'm a native speaker doesn't mean that I've studied grammar. I know what the difference between a past uh, continuous tense and subjunctive tense are is irrelevant to a native speaker. In the case of this English, which is so international, do we have an example of something that may become contentious in the future because it's English-centric. It, 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 using the identity of specific people 
as if they owned the language, when in fact the world does. Well, when as the world uh, becomes more global, uh, I think it, it really is helpful for all of us to have a single global language in which we can communicate more easier. And, and we notice there, here with uh, the, the majority of our migrant populations to Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, speak English. This is a, a, one of the uh, things that Immigration New Zealand actually looks at on the, uh, the applications um, and how well they're going to be able to adjust. So when we're engaging, whether it's in, in business, and I have business interests in particular countries around the world, or I'm importing things from China or from Thailand or from Vietnam, I think it, it is a really a good thing that we're making courses in Thai, Vietnamese, uh, uh, Mandarin, um, Hindi, etc., available to Pakiha, um, who now can find yeah. an easily easy easy place for which to sign up for a course. Another thing about our courses is we don't necessarily in, um, um, encourage outside study. Right, we're looking for people who are busy. They want to devote one hour and a half each week to language learning for an eight-week term, and they stay with us because there's no outside pressure. So that's 48 class hours per year, or in two years, that's 200 class hours, and I'm finding that students in my Hindi class who have now gone through two years, we are now having conversations in Hindi effortlessly with no outside-of-class study on the part of our <coughs> learners. So it's not about pass or fail? Not at all, not at all. And as programs uh, grow, um, we, we naturally sort some of our language learners into uh, the different classes. I earlier mentioned today that we're often, um, we start a new cohort in every, any given language in term one and term three. If someone is not ready to advance, to the next cohort or the cohort has um, faster learners or slower learners is not even about uh, ability it's about how quickly or not quickly one picks it up one has the option to go on to the next level or they can choose to go with the next group that's coming up and the material of course changes e every week so how might someone of us who's listening take advantage of the, what you offer? Well, the best way is just to go to our we our website. If, if you remember the name of our organization, it's Earth Diverse, uh, a very uh, easy name to remember. So it's earthdiverse.org, O-R-G dot N-Z. Oh, is, if anybody, excuse me, if anybody's listening, can, can you give out a phone number, please, so they can ring you and... Um um, you could give your phone number. Yep, we're just uh, we're we're in the process of setting up a phone. Uh, I don't we don't have a phone uh, number at the moment, but I'm very responsive responsive to inquiries that come in through the website. There's a contact page. If anyone has yeah. a particular question, um, send it to us on email. Uh, we we respond within a day. Um, sometimes I respond to uh, those kinds of queries that come in at eleven o'clock at night. Well, I'm I'm intrigued about you knowing Hindi. Give us a few words in Hindi if you want to. Kaka and Achata. Thank you, right. thank you. It's, uh, <laughs> Just to prove the point, <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Todd um, Nakovich yeah. of Hamilton. <coughs> thanks so much for joining us on Free FM eighty nine point zero. 
If you've just noticed and have just been doing a bit of coughing, I am wearing a mask. We've uh, thrown the requirements now. If you feel comfortable, wear a mask as you speak. So if I sound a bit muffled, that is why. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you very much, Mel. It, it, Thank it's you a very pleasure. much, it, it, It's a pleasure. Well, as people know, I'm of Scottish descent, and we've been talking about the Campbells and uh, their fight with other clan warfare 330 years ago. The Glencoe Massacre happened today. It's the anniversary of that today, and the... Those two clans are still fighting, 330 years on. Hey, but according to Kenneth McKellar, we're all my ain folk. Far I wander, but still my thoughts return to my ain folk over yonder. In the shilling by the barn I see a cosy ingle And a mist up in the brain And joy and sadness mingle As I list some old world cut that but that's the late Kenneth McKellar and my ain folk there's a video that goes with that uh, particular songs in the album Kenneth McKellar a Scottish journey Andrea have you Andrea Haynes have you have you ever been to Scotland yes I have and I loved it yeah I haven't really explored anything beyond Loch Ness <laughs> but um I'm looking forward to perhaps in the future doing that so um yeah no so so yes. what, what what is happening well, at the it's movies? It's very noisy here. The wind is just absolutely well. We've got rattling the window panes. We've got uh, ra- uh, sorry. We have got wind warnings throughout the Waikato today. So I, we're in orange. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's actually quite scary. I've got quite a few big trees um, in my garden, and you know, I'm looking sort of a little bit concerned about the neighbours. But I think we'll we'll be fine there. They're nice, healthy trees, so it's usually the ones that have got a bit of a um, a poor base on them that don't do so well. Yep. So anyway, that's not quite what you rang me about. What's what's happening at the movies? Is there something new event coming up? Is there? Yes, the um, Hamilton Film Society is going to be screening at the Lido starting on the twenty-first. We're really excited about it. We were to start tomorrow, but 
because of the red red light, we've managed now to um, start on the 21st because um, we can have two theatres and it means that everybody who wants to come and we've got a good, strong membership can uh, can come safely and be um, separated in the way they need to be. I've, I've seen those signs all over Hamilton, so the limit is 100, is it? Oh, yes, yes, but um, with the distancing, that does make it a bit difficult because our numbers are are quite good for the film society and would not fit um, the the theatre. So, anyway, that's what's exciting. And we're able to bring back some of the films that we missed last year. We've been also uh, realised that we've made some incentives for people who who, um, missed out last year. So our... um, our registration for those who were members last year has been reduced slightly, so um, their membership fee. So um, we're hoping that people are going to feel enthusiastic about coming back to Film Society. The program's a bit longer, and so that's why we're starting in February. Normally we start in March. So what do we? What do people expect to see? And well, the Film Society always offers you a real treat of international cinema. So we're starting off with Summer 1993, which is a delightful um, um, film that comes from Spain. And it tells the story of this little girl who, um, whose parents die and she's sent to live from Barcelona and goes into a little village in the Catalan. So she's uh, and to stay with an aunt and uncle and just her, just the experience through her eyes. It was in a film festival probably a couple of years ago, maybe, and so um, and it was very well received. And I'd love to see it again. So um, so I'm looking forward to that. And then we've got um, a film uh, called Sami Blood, which is uh, about this indigenous Sami girl who who decides that for her future she needs to forget her indigenity and um, she tries to become Swedish. And just that, that journey, that, that's amazing. So, um, yeah, no, there, there's huge... Um, we've got some classics, The Magnificent Ambersons. We've even got Nosferatu, the original Nosferatu. So that, that should be... Uh, that's towards the end of the year. But the programme runs from... 21st of February right through until the 5th of December. Yeah, you talk about the Magnificent Ambersons. Yes. yes. Orson Welles and Agnes Moorhead. Yes, yes. Who later became yes. Andorra and Bewitched. Imagine, as you can imagine, it was a Richard Swainson choice and we all fell in with it, of course. And so it's a follow-up to Citizen Kane as this Best Picture nominee. So... Um, yeah, we've we've always got to see if we can put an Orson Wells in there somewhere. So, um, so that's really good. And also this year we've got some a New Zealand film um, a collection. We've got a um, a documentary about uh, Juliet Gerard, who's the Prime Minister's science advisor. That's called Science in Dark Times. I suppose that's quite um, uh, reasonably good for these these times. And Utu Redux, that, that film as well, which was the Jeff Murphy's remake of Utu, which has received much crit- critical acclaim. 
we've got, oh, there's crumbs. It's just, as I say, 30, 36 films uh, on this year's program. So it's, it's a rich weekly uh, diet for people. And so um, there's, there's plenty to see, and we hope we'll be attracting good numbers. To talk about movies, have you seen Power of the Dog yet? Which is, yes, is going to be a, it's going to be a big Oscar winner, we think. You think so? Yep. I'll tell you what I have seen very recently at the Lido was Belfast, mm-hmm. which absolutely enchanted me. I thought it was absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yes, I, I, I had I, people in the audience beside me who were crying because it was so much of their their childhood and yep. their memories, and it was just oh, it was a. A very moving experience to be in a cinema with people who were so in, engrossed yeah. in the film. And that's, that's part of what coming to the movies and being part of the film society is actually all about. It's that sharing the experience with others and then being able to yeah. talk about it afterwards. You know how so Jane Campion put her film straight to uh, Netflix. And I don't think you quite get that same kind of experience than that you that you yep. get in the cinema. I'd really like to yep. see the power of the... I didn't see it in the cinema. I saw it on home, on my own and, um, home viewing. Yep. And, 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 Andrea... I don't think and, you quite get the same feel. And, Andrea, is there a gay storyline in A Power of the Dog? I'm not going to... That's a spoiler, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Andrea... don't need yeah, no, no, we don't need spoilers. Hey, we've got to go because uh, I, I hope you better go and check your windows because, uh, and we'll leave it there and we'll catch up in, in the next uh, few months. Okay, well, that's lovely. Hey, I might pop in next week just to give you a little heads up about um, what's going to happen um, the next day. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andrea. Okay, that's cool. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And they're still playing this in Wellington, Barry Manilow, down in, outside Parliament. It's on. It's on a loop. Sorry, we cannot bring you the COVID nineteen update. It's not available at the moment. Uh, I hope it's everything's all right for the Sunday afternoon. That's one of the songs, Trevor, that's been play, playing on that loop in Wellington all through the night. So Trevor Mallard is, is he's gone high tech. He's trying to get rid of the protesters. How are you, mate? Oh, very good, actually. Um, that's what I wanted to talk about today is the protesters. Yes. What happened to the good old days when people signed petitions and marched to Parliament, handed it over and then went peacefully home? Now it's getting radical. I think they, in many ways, are trying to copy the Americans and the Canadians, blocking streets off and whatnot, and cars and so on. And what annoyed me about this protest is they're picking on cafes and places like that where people are trying to make a living, abusing them, threatening them, forcing them to close for their own safety. I mean, they're just trying to make a mega living out of the out of COVID nineteen. Well, one of the leaders is a real nut bar. He's he's threatened to injure and kill journalists in the past, and and uh, you're getting that rhetoric down there. Yes, that was written on the steps of Parliament buildings. All politicians should be hanged. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, it's sort of mob hysteria in a way. Yeah, uh, and 
I, I mean, I suppose the police, if they went to pull up all the tents and get rid of any, everything, yeah, move people on, there'd probably be a riot. You will. Dwayne has told me there's going to be a protest in Hamilton coming up in the oh, next few no. weeks, so hopefully we don't have this in town. I don't know why people are so strongly about it. I mean, it's not compulsory, and if you want, it's no different than having a flu jab, in my opinion. And and, and it's sad, there's an ex-MP from up your way, Matt King. He's resigned from the National Party. He's, he's, he's travelled down south to join the, join the mob. And, um, yes, it, it's sad. And I was saying, it's sad the... Um, the police officers don't have horses, and well, that's a good idea. And using water cannon, yeah, and putting dye in the water, and uh, catch up with you later, mate. Um, they could actually uh, engage the army to help out, because the police were tied up uh, uh, trying to control the crowd, and there's a crime taking place, a shop robbed or something, and and so someone's been beaten up. There won't be the place to attend to it. Oh, well, we're going to see the pictures tonight. Thank you, Trevor. Have a, have a good week, and we'll hopefully speak again next week to you. It's three minutes to the hour of two o'clock. And, of course, another thing with this wind and other things, getting bitten by the old uh, mozzies out there. And, of course, Scotland has a problem with what they call midges. Here's Kenneth McKellar taking us out. The midges, the midges, I'm no gonna kidges. The midges is really the limit. With teeth like piranhas, they drive you bananas. If you let them get under your cement. The Lord put the Garden of Eden on earth. And it's north of the Tweed, we believe. Aye, Scotland's the place. And the whole human race started off with Macadam and Eve. In six days or under, he finished this wonder, except for the fourth and Tay bridges. Then always a bloke for a practical joke, he made Scotland the home of the midges. Oh, the midges, the midges, I'm no gone, kidges, the midges is really the limit. With teeth like piranhas, they drive you bananas, if you let them get under your cement. The proud Edward was keen to take Scotland into his care But he made a U-turn when he reached Bannockburn Just a few weeks before Glasgow Fair For the midges let loose by King Robert the Bruce Straight into the English Gator So they ran off in tears and for 600 years They've been blocking the A74 Oh, the midges, the midges, I'm no gone, it kidges. The midges is really the limit. We teeth like piranhas, they drive you bananas if you let them get under your cement. Now, never forget when the sun's going to set and the midges arise on Loch Eck. Like the vampires you see played by Christopher Lee, they will give you a pain in the neck. You can smack them and whack them, in vain you'll attack them, for they know every move that you make. If you manage to kill you another half million are ready to come to the wake. 
Got hold of his chanter and carried it off in his jaws. Oh, the midges, the midges, I'm no gonna kidges. The midges is really the limit. With teeth like piranhas, they drive you bananas if you let them get under your cement. Thanks for listening to this free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support FreeFM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.